Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan, or as I'm now calling him after seeing the first episode of Showtime's docuseries Action, Jersey John. He has a 99.99% win rate, and for the low, low price of $500,000, he'll sell you Jersey John's Lock of the Week, and he's so sure it'll win that if it doesn't, you'll get five dollars off next week's pick over to you jersey john <laughs> that's funny jersey john reminds me of a, a few stories uh i mean to tell us for months but um and this this actually reminds me of it so well um for those of you too young to remember the mid-70s which is most of you probably <laughs> uh it was an era of spectacular growth for the nfl on tv this is when your tv only offered six or seven channels uh you can google that kids but uh, anyway cbs decided to produce a uh, pre-game show and needed some gimmicks so they hired miss america 1971 phyllis george because um um, uh, she was pretty and she had a nice soft Texas accent. Um, she le- later married John Y. Brown, who's the guy who bought Kentucky Fried Chicken from the Colonel, turned mm. into a zillion dollar empire back when people ate fried things without guilt. So that's long ago. <laughs> uh, now it's KFC and whatever. Uh, he also won the Kentucky Colonels of the American Basketball Association. Uh, and they won a league championship uh, there with UB Brown as coach. And no, I'm not kidding. But uh, but getting back to finally to your point, um, uh, CBS also hired a Vegas legend named Jimmy the Greek. Uh, they also had Brent Musburger as host. I don't know whatever happened to him. but um, So Jimmy would come on each pregame show and offer his best bets, just like our modern touts. Uh, he had gold chains and big hair and a great tan, and America welcomed him. You know, He merely predicted the score of his favorite game, uh, which, of course, is not at all like recommending a team against the point spread. Not at all. No. So uh, in my early teens, this era, my neighborhood, uh, inspired by the Greek, we got the idea that we would each chip in three bucks and have a season-long contest where we bet every NFL game against the point spread every week. <laughs> so there wound up being 17 of us and a $51 winner-take-all prize. Uh, and five or six of the contestants actually were parents of some entrants. Um, now they'd be arrested for... I don't know, something in 2019. But <laughs> this was the era where we, we didn't use seat belts or bicycle helmets or really take any kind of sensible precautions whatsoever. So this kind of uh, was how we rolled. Uh, my brother even listed his picks as being from Andy the Irish uh, <laughs> uh, in homage to the Greek uh, good times. Well, I won that damn pool. And uh, here I am today 
Uh, I got distracted for a couple decades with other work, but I'm glad to be back and contributing to team dart tossing on sports bets with you, Eric. <laughs> there you go. Boy, there were so many names and details in there that you could have been making up and I wouldn't be able to call you out on it. The, the Kentucky Colonels, that's that was a real thing. That was a real thing. Yes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Artist Gilmore, seven foot two center with a afro that made it about seven foot nine. Yeah, it was good times. All right. Good, good history lesson there. I learned a lot. Uh, um, thank you to uh, everyone out there uh, for joining us for episode number 33 of Gamble On. Uh, in about 10 minutes, we will be one third of the way to 100. If you missed any of our previous 32 episodes, you can find them all on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple podcast app. Just click the subscribe button so you never miss another episode. Uh, yeah, and Eric, coming up later on the podcast, we're going to be speaking to Ian Bradley, uh, Chief Strategy Officer for SB Tech. That's the company that provided the first self-service sports betting kiosk in both New Jersey and Mississippi. Um, SB Tech has released interesting data and trends from the first week of March Madness betting, and we're going to ask him all about that. Uh, first, we have a lot of news to cover from the world of gambling, as always, so let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. We referenced part of our first story with that little Jersey John bit at, at the top, but uh, sports betting took two more steps simultaneously into the mainstream on Sunday night. Shortly after the conclusion of the Duke-UCF tournament game, CBS's 60 Minutes aired, and it featured a segment exploring this wild new world of legal sports gambling. And at the same time, on pay cable network Showtime, episode one of their four-part docuseries Action aired, featuring Vegas Dave who was the basis for my little Jersey John bit there. Uh, I have to be honest, I missed the 60-minute segment, and I didn't see it posted for free online, so I haven't watched it, so I can't comment on that. I did watch Action, uh, and I've actually seen the second and third episodes as well, and full disclosure, I do side work for Showtime, so take my opinions as seriously or not seriously as you want to, but I'm really enjoying action. I think it gives an honest portrayal of the industry, the people it's profiling live interesting lives, and I think director Luke Corum did a good job making it appeal to both novices and people who already have familiarity with sports betting. John, what did you think of episode one of action and the 60 Minutes segment? Yeah, Eric, it's quite a Sunday for those of us interested in getting a grip on the expansion of legal gambling in the U.S., which, as it happens, I think is our raison d'etre. Oh, I... <laughs> I must apologize to any French-speaking citizens for failing to turn <laughs> failing to turn Irish and Jersey into anything recognizable. But uh, you, were, you were close enough that I knew what the words you were trying to say. Yeah, reason to exist or something like that. Yes. But um, no, 60 minutes running. You know, I called it a, a view from 20,000 feet uh, segment uh, on USBets.com uh, that night, and then shortly thereafter, uh, Showtime kicking off that four four part series. Um, hopefully, it makes our loved ones a little less skeptical at what the heck we are doing. Uh, <laughs> and as for Showtime, you know, the industry reaction to basically any men of the infamous Vegas Dave in the episode is striking. Um, you know, they gave him a platform. Then they showed a variety of far more reputable Vegas characters explaining what nonsense his claims were. And I thought that was fine. Um, he's worth mentioning in a four-part series about sports betting, frankly. But uh, I don't quite understand why he returns to the show in the first episode. And there he is with his mom and dad. And uh, I don't know where they're going with that. So I'm curious to see what Vegas Dave 
uh, winds up as by the end of the series. You know, any documentary producer is going to find this kind of guy to be catnip. I get it. Um, but will casual viewers who get swept up in a series leave with an accurate understanding of them? That's what I wonder about. Um, and for the record, uh, my documented Fast Five NFL picks were at a solid 55% after 10 weeks. It's documented on the, these very podcasts. Yeah. Uh, then I went into a terrible tailspin so great that even your late surge couldn't bring us to better than a classic collective finish of 82 <laughs> wins, 82 losses, and six ties jersey john and philly eric indeed (laughs) (laughs) and for all we know we might be ahead of vegas dave uh, despite his claims um yeah you know i I, i've seen the second and third episodes already and i I don't want to give any spoilers Uh, i'm sure some of our listeners watched the first episode and plan to watch the next three um but I will say this, um, you know how how Vegas Dave bragged about having 10,000 haters. Um, If you are among his haters, I think you'll enjoy where the series goes with him. Uh, The the myth that he's created around himself takes some hits in these next two episodes. Um, You know, the the director told me uh, that the show is not a love letter to gambling. And it really isn't. It's showing the world from all sides, and uh, I'm really enjoying it. Although, again, I'm biased. Uh, The 60 Minutes piece, again, I didn't see it, but it certainly uh, helped build awareness uh, about uh, the state of of sports gambling. A a lot more people watch that show than watch any show on Showtime. It's just the nature of primetime network TV versus anything on premium cable. Uh, You mentioned uh, loved ones. Uh, My mother-in-law called me on Sunday night to tell me (laughs) 60 Minutes has a thing uh, about sports betting coming up. Um, And uh, for the record, she called because she knows I work in the industry, not because she thinks I'm a degenerate sports better. That's good to hear. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, you know, again, having not seen it, uh, I can say with confidence that it, it built a lot more awareness among people who don't really realize what's been happening with sports betting over the last 10 months. Yes, I, I called it like a, a no loss. I mean, industries like sports betting, and this could be true of marijuana legalization, other things, you know, you, you can get sort of a demonizing piece that, you know, kind of turns the general audience against the industry. Um, and this wasn't that. It wasn't a wasn't a hit piece. Um, you know, I mentioned the 2011 infamous uh, Ed Rendell was Pennsylvania governor and uh, 60 Minutes did a piece on uh, a casino expansion with Pennsylvania uh, had come along. And uh, Rendell just went ballistic at Leslie Stahl because she was basically saying, you know, aren't you taking money out of the pockets of poor people and all that. And, you know, Rendell was replying, they're doing it anyway. We're just legal, you know, that whole thing. So, right. um, so that was a bit of a fiasco, but this one was pretty nondescript. It wasn't terribly gripping, but um, again, for the industry, they probably will take it and move on. Right. Okay, and uh, we'll take it and move on as well to story number two. Uh, in legislative news, two important bills became law this week. Uh, the Rhode Island governor signed her state's mobile sports betting bill, and the West Virginia online casino bill became law despite the governor declining to sign it. Uh, but there's not a lot to discuss and analyze with either of those developments. There were, however, some developments in Iowa and Tennessee that are more worthy of commenting on, as those two states considered two of the most head-scratching proposals we've seen yet in the post-PASPA era. In Iowa, State Representative Mary Wolf pitched a 3% tax on mobile sports bets paid by the consumer. Seriously, uh, her, her idea is that if you want to bet on your phone or computer, you pay an extra 3% of VIG. Uh, So that's what's happening in Iowa. Uh, Then Tennessee came along and told Iowa, hold my beer. A proposal (laughs) in Tennessee included a stipulation that there should be no sports betting on Christmas, Thanksgiving, and Easter. Okay, not the end of the world yet. That's, That's three days out of 365. 
nor should there be sports betting allowed on, get this, Sundays from 3 p.m. to 10 p.m. Sundays, when all the football games are happening. No sports betting. Uh, thankfully, the measure was voted down, but it was close. It was a 10-9 vote. Uh, <laughs> John, these people are politicians, not members of the sports betting industry. Clearly, there are things they lack expertise in and understanding of, but are they purposefully trying to drive all the customers to the bookies and the offshore sports books? Yeah, those are kind of amazing. I think middle America legislators are the most adorable legislators when it comes to uh, <laughs> sports betting. I really do. They, you know, if there was no such thing as illegal sports betting, a lot of the proposals make a lot of sense, really. You know, okay, Iowans, we're thinking of finally allowing you to do this crazy thing, but you have to pay extra for the privilege. You know, obviously, we're not going to uh, just let you bet illegally instead uh, because that wouldn't happen. None of you would do that because you're, you know, well, Iowa. So that's not a problem. Um, and then Tennessee did up the ante, though, so to speak. Cause as you note, um, I can live with the idea that you shouldn't be betting on holidays nor before noon on Sundays with a Norman Rockwell ideal that you should be focused on God and family and country at those times. Uh, that's not so bad. But why ban it from 3 p.m. to 10 p.m.? Titan games start at noon central time. So do they want residents to load up on the home team. Uh, why not make it 4 p.m. so the locals can double down on the whole occasional overtime? Um, and it's only banned until 10 p.m. local. So if the Sunday night NFL game runs a bit late, get your bets in now or in that overtime. Uh, that the timing actually was the weirdest part of it. Even like banning it completely on Sundays would be like a certain amount of logic to it. But three to ten, I, I don't get it. Yeah, I guess it would still be every bit as ridiculous and infuriating uh, whatever time, whether they did it the whole day or whatever. But you're right. It makes it that much more illogical to to, to focus in on that three to ten range. I, I don't understand uh, what those time markers are all about uh touching on the the iowa thing um i'll give representative wolf credit for one thing some people criticized her proposal on twitter uh, including our coo robert delafov and she engaged in conversation she admitted she doesn't have all the answers maybe it should be one percent not three percent it's a work in progress etc so that's good to see at least you know that she's willing to listen to people who actually know what they're talking about when it comes to online gambling. Uh, but yeah, Tennessee is definitely the more interesting one to talk about. It is the absolute most idiotic idea I've heard from any state about sports betting. Um, like, you know, if, if Chick-fil-A wants to be closed on Sundays, that's up to them. And it's not like they're driving people to order illegal chicken sandwiches from unregulated <laughs> offshore chicken farmers. Um, sports betting is different. Or, or are they? We, are we sure? I don't know. That's not our expertise. <laughs> <laughs> True. Although, yeah, I don't, I don't know how uh, how well the chicken holds up uh, once it's uh, been flown in from the Isle of Man or wherever it is. But um, if, if you have regulated sports betting, but you don't allow it on Sundays – you're telling every single customer to keep their offshore accounts and do most of their business there. It, it's insanity. You you can't have sports betting without having Sunday sports betting. It's like opening a bar that only serves O'Doul's. I don't think you're going to stay in business too long. Um, but at least it was voted down. But again, only 10 to 9. Almost 50% of voters chose what was clearly the wrong side. And I'm, I'm not going to draw any parallels to any other major votes in recent years. Uh, nope, not going to do it. Yeah, this reminds me of, uh, you know, I read all the thousands of pages of depositions in the uh, New Jersey sports betting case the, back in 2012, and the various commissioners all had to give their depositions, mm -hmm. and Bud Selig easily could pass a lie detector test on what he said. I think he was 100% sincere. He said, it's ridiculous. Um, baseball fans don't bet on the games. 
the, the, the gamblers bet on baseball or and other sports, but baseball fans have no interest in gambling. It makes no sense at all to think that it should be legalized because those baseball fans wouldn't bet anyway. Because you you can't be a fan if you bet on a game. It, <laughs> he he totally was convinced there was this complete dichotomy. And uh, like I said, I I'm sure he was 100 percent sincere. Like he's got that going for him, which is nice. <laughs> yes. And uh, does he also claim uh, to to further my uh, my O'Doul's bar uh, analogy there that uh, beer drinkers don't like the alcohol element? They're they're not sus- in it for that. I suspect he would. Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, for our final story this week, um, I will toot my own horn and talk about a story I wrote on NJOnlineGambling.com, where we broke the news that the Advantage player, who earlier this year won almost a million dollars playing the slots game Ocean Magic online in New Jersey, has done it again. This time, he identified a slight edge in a game from the same manufacturer called Golden Egypt, where the game started in a favorable state and combined with the better return you get playing slots online versus playing them live, it meant the odds were slightly in the player's favor. So he recruited 14 friends who flew to New Jersey and they played at six online casinos and won more than a half million dollars in just a couple of days. It's another fun, unexpected story. Uh, Player Beats Casino is the man bites dog of this business. Uh, And it has a happy ending as the players all got paid with relatively little delay this time. They might not they might never be allowed to fund another account in New Jersey, but they got their money from this play, at least. Uh, this strikes me as a ringing endorsement for playing in a regulated environment. Uh, John, would you agree? Yeah, uh, this was a great story, Eric. I, I still can't wrap my head around anyone, anyone being able to beat a slot machine online or otherwise <laughs> right. for big bucks, you know, either way. But um, to your point, yeah, it's definitely an endorsement for legal online gambling. Uh, legitimate operators offer games that brilliant advantage players outfoxed. And that's it. Pay the man, pay the woman. Um, that's the way it's supposed to be. So, uh, you know, it's it's a hit for obviously the, you know, the individual operators, but um, for the industry, uh, not only in New Jersey, but nationwide, I, I think it's a it's a win. I thought you were going to bust out a, a Teddy KGB from Rounders impression there with the, the pay that man his money. I thought that was coming from you. But um, OK, <laughs> um, I don't know how much influence, by the way, if any, the uh, DGE had over the players getting paid uh, with both of these uh, these plays. I don't know if my articles possibly had anything to do with it. I can only speculate on those fronts, but I do believe at least that the existence of the DGE, whether they took any action or not, their mere existence, I think wielded influence and, and helped these casinos to ultimately do the right thing and, and pay the players. Um, Also, uh, just an interesting note, something I didn't realize until this latest interview with uh, quote unquote Jay, as he likes to be called uh, for the follow up article. He never actually took part in either play himself. Uh, I didn't realize that the first time around that his online account was not used. Uh, And of course, the the 14 players who played Golden Egypt, none of them were the same as the players who played Ocean Magic. Basically, with each account that deposits big, plays big and wins big at one of these games, you get one shot. Yeah, this is uh, uh, it's not quite a movie yet, but we're we're getting there. Okay, well, if uh, if, if if we do get there, uh, boy, <laughs> now, uh, who would play you in my... a movie? I'm wondering. <laughs> I'm not thinking so much about who would play me as I am thinking about uh, getting getting a piece of uh, of the the uh, the proceeds as a, a writer, part writer, something uh, based on based on articles by whatever it takes for me to get a cut. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> it's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. 
Counting the play-in games, we are 52 games into the 68-team March Madness tournament, 15 games to go, a fine point to pause and examine the betting data so far. And to help us do that is Ian Bradley, the Chief Strategy Officer of SB Tech, a company that supplies betting technology for such casino brands as Golden Nugget, Resorts, and Bet America. Ian, thanks for joining us on Gamble On. Thanks, Eric. So uh, SB Tech was kind enough to share some data with us before the podcast, and it shows that Murray State's upset of Marquette was the most heavily bet game of the first round. And in the second round, it was Kentucky Wofford pre-match, but Duke versus UCF had the most in-game betting. This suggests to me that star power drives betting, whether it's Ja Morant or Zion Williamson. Would you agree, Ian, and, and is that something you've found across all sports over the years, that the stars involved sometimes drive betting more than the quality of the team or the quality of the game does? Yeah, I think, I think you, you, you're definitely right. Kind of the, the star attractions, both in terms of kind of, uh, I guess, the, the brand teams, you know, across the different sports, but also I think more and more the, the players, and I think especially in U.S. sports, the players are becoming sometimes bigger than the teams themselves. I think if you if you look at Duke, you, you'd certainly see that. And then you take it across to the NBA. You know, I think even you know when when LeBron and the Lakers are playing, it's LeBron playing a team, not <laughs> not the Lakers playing a team. So uh, maybe that's just part of their uh, their squad at the moment. But um, generally, I think yeah, the player power is coming more and more into it with with social media and, and things like that. And I think for the for the customers. Uh, to bet on, it's going to get more and more exciting over the years that, you know, more and more betting opportunities that player markets will offer as well. Right. And and, uh, specifically with the case of the Duke UCF game and that leading the way in in in-game betting, this would seem logical. uh, But a game like that, do you see more in-game betting when the game is close and exciting and an upset is possible that that tends to drive the in-game action? Definitely, yeah. I mean, what you what you generally see is, um, and normally, what a, what a bad result is, is kind of when a favourite from a from a pre match bad results for, for bookmakers normally is uh, when when a favourite's pre match um, maybe get off to a bad start in a game, um, or and they start to get the closer than it was expected. You get a lot of momentum in customers basically backing that the better team will just play out and win in the end. Uh, so generally, normally, the worst results for bookmakers is kind of the favorite going behind or not playing as well as expected and then coming back to win and, and you know, basketball covering the spread um, and maybe sending the points over as well. So, yeah, certainly the, the bigger games, um, you know, bring out more among the customers and following in the bigger teams. Yeah. And so, so what are betters focusing on uh, before these March Madness games? Uh, do they mostly bet against the point spread? Do they bet money lines? Do they try more exotic plays? What, what do you find generally? Yes, I think we've seen, you know, it's kind of the first uh, March Madness post post Pasper and I think live betting and and kind of a lot of the what we would call derivative markets are maybe not as uh, well known in in the US at this point. Um, So you do see majority of the business going on the the kind of the main markets that have been traditionally bet for for many years across the US. So, yeah, the spread, the points, uh, money line, if there's, you know, something that, that, that can be. Um, quite nice, maybe a little bit of value or certainly like money line bets thrown into lots of parlays. We've seen pre-match uh, first half betting has been popular as well. So people taking a lot of different first half betting as well uh, on, on the pre-match side of things. Moving into live betting, um, again, the, the kind of the main core markets have, have played out. But what's been interesting for us is some of the derivative markets, like, a, for example, like a winning margin bet has started to gain popularity where they can get some 
quite nice odds for maybe the um, the team to cover by a larger amount um, than what they would expect, so they get a better odds. Uh, well, you had a note in your data that uh, people haven't been bucking the trend against big favorite teams much. Uh, and as we saw last week, uh, especially on Saturday and Sunday, the favored teams have been advancing so far in this tournament. Does that mean that the betters are doing well so far or are the books you work with still still coming out ahead to this point? Yeah, overall, um, it's been pretty good. Uh, in terms of like margin performance, so yeah, overall the tournament's been uh, been quite good considering not that many upsets so far. Um, so I think yeah, generally they've they've been following in the the bigger teams. I think the thing is is when there's so many games on, they're often thrown in a lot of parlays. So mm. it only takes one result or one one betting opportunity that doesn't quite match up for the for the parlay to break down. Um, so I think most bookmakers would be pretty uh, ahead at this point. Um, there's been some certain games like the Murray State game, even though it was a bit of a shock. Generally, the market was moving towards Murray State pre-match and a lot of the customers kind of followed that in as well. Um, so even though it was an upset, kind of the, the market was moving towards it becoming a, a closer game than, than was uh, previously done. Same with the, the Irvine game as well against Kansas. You know, the spread moved from uh, Kansas minus five and a half to go off at about minus three and a half. Um, and the same sort of principle, kind of the, the, the money and the customers were following in the, the kind of the news and the, and the betting movements to start before the game. Right. And I guess even though a lot of the favored teams have been winning, they haven't necessarily been covering while winning. So, uh, so you're probably still getting a pretty good balance there, I would think. Exactly. Yeah, ex- exactly. That's the, the, the good thing about the basketball betting. Like I say, the, a lot of the parlays do get thrown in in maybe just some money lines, but then you can get money lines into spreads, into points as well. And when you get all of those combinations, um, you know, you can, it's pretty difficult for customers uh, to win. Uh, though one of our partners actually recently, uh, it was a, a cross sport in uh, Mississippi, had quite a large win. They got a 20-team parlay home. <laughs> uh, and so they won around about 100,000. I think it was it was in the press um, the last week or so, um, which is, I, I've been asked by a few people, is that the biggest parlor that's ever been won? And it's going to be up there. There's not many 20-team parlors that end up going through, especially, <laughs> when you, especially when you combine, you know, money line into spreads, into points across, uh, this was NBA and, and uh, college before March Madness started. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, that's madness indeed, I think. But uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, so, Ian, uh, one other thing, um, we're about to resume action into the Sweet 16 uh, and uh, you're getting, I'm sure, some uh, some data this week. Um, any early trends that come out or are betters uh, almost exclusively betting just on Sweet 16 games? Are they going to Final Four? Are they looking for uh, futures on a champion now? Like what, what are the betters doing this week? Yeah, I think I think most of the futures betting is generally being or already placed. So we're not seeing a, a, a re, it's more game by game betting than they're doing, rather than uh, you know large amounts of futures bets. We're still offering offering it up, but you know I think any sort of you know now we've had a lot more games to play, the the prices have kind of settled. Um, so there's not going to be huge price moves. So most of the business is going on uh, more of the match by match betting at this point. All right. Well, really interesting stuff. Uh, we're uh, partway through the tournament, but still uh, more action to come. And uh, it's been great uh, talking to you about it all, Ian. Uh, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks very much and hope to speak again. All right. Thanks, Ian. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. 
Time to update the bankroll, and we did well with our March Madness bets, uh, but we have negative news to report on futures bets. Uh, let's start with with those futures bets. Our $100 to win 300 on the Pacers to win the Central Division is officially a loss, and we knew it would be from the moment Victor Oladipo went down, uh, but to be fair, even with a healthy Oladipo, they weren't catching the box. Uh, so we lost $100 on that. Uh, and the other bet to note is our $330 bet on the Spurs to win under 43 and a half games. They're currently 43 and 32. So it's not over yet. It's not but, over yet. <laughs> but they need to go 0 and 7 the rest of the way <laughs> with losses to the likes of Atlanta and Dallas and Cleveland, not once, but twice. Uh, so uh, I think we expect to have a $330 loss to report next episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the plus side, we went two for three on March Madness games. Uh, Fairly Dickinson, first half uh, was a loss. We dropped $110 there. Your, your alma mater let us both down, John. Uh, down only down about uh you know 20 with four minutes to go and then a 19-0 run and yeah they were down <laughs> 53 to 17 at half time so that wasn't good yeah. okay. uh, at least at least uh, at least it wasn't a, a sweat down to the the final uh, seconds before halftime at least uh, yeah. got to relax a little um but the good news is we won a hundred dollars each on bradley in the first half and belmont for the full game so that's a profit of 90 dollars uh, minus the 100 dollars on the pacers future we're now up $1,001 with $580 on hold in futures bets. So we have $10,421 available to bet with this week. And I'm up first. And I'm going to stick with March Madness for my first bet. Uh, now that I've watched these teams play a little bit, I think I'm an expert. Uh, and the spread on Friday's Duke-Virginia Tech game is 7.5 points. It was actually 7 when I checked yesterday, uh, but now it's 7.5 Uh and it feels like a lot to me. Even at seven, it felt a little wide. Uh, I think this game has upset potential. And at the very least, I think Virginia Tech will keep it close. Uh, now, as we'll discuss when we get to our March Madness contest update, uh, I really need Duke to win here. So uh, this bet is a little bit of a hedge on that. But uh, also, I can get the clean sweep. Uh, so I'm rooting for Duke to win but by seven or less. Um, and by the way, this bet is available at minus 105 on points bets. So that's where I'm doing it, risking $105 to win 100 on Virginia Tech with the points. Okay, uh, sticking with March Madness then, which, uh, we're still in barely. Um, Florida State at 100 to win 280 by beating Gonzaga outright on the DraftKings money line. Um, Florida State recently knocked off Sweet 16 uh, members, Virginia and Virginia Tech. So they're peaking at the right time, and uh, I think we can get a big score there. Yeah, you know, it's I'm, I, it's an interesting pick because I, w- I was looking at that too, whether on the money line or just to, to cover the spread. That was the other uh, game this round that was jumping out at me, and I'm on the same side as you. So good, good pick there. Um, my next bet, um, I made it a few months, John. I was a good boy, but I couldn't stay a good boy forever. I am breaking my no parlays promise. Uh, are you disappointed in me? I am very much so. <laughs> but I bet you also saw it coming. Can't be too surprised. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's do it. Let's just do it. All Rip right. the Band-Aid off. All right, here it is. It's um, the Houston Astros are a massive favorite to win the AL West. Uh, they're as much as minus 800 at some books, uh, but only minus 560 at DraftKings. The Cleveland Indians are a huge favorite to win the AL Central. They're as high as minus 400 at some books, only minus 278 at DraftKings. Uh I could bet either one of them individually. I think they're great prices, 
But why do that when I can parlay them together and kick myself later for getting one right and one <laughs> wrong? Uh, the parlay price at DraftKings is a fantastic minus 167. So I'm betting on the Astros and Indians to win their respective soft divisions, risking $300 to win $181 about six months from now. All right. Well, it is opening day. And uh, so I checked out your uh, baseball future story uh, on usbets.com, I think it was. Uh, um, I think that one was on NJOnlineGambling.com. NJ okay, but, but you anyway, know, the people should go to both sites. Just look around. Both sites, and they both got <laughs> plugs there, so that worked out. Um, yeah, I like the uh, the Reds. Uh, over 79 wins, um, 220 to win 200. Um, I agree with a lot of your thinking. Um, they got off to a ridiculously bad start last year. They were a 500 team for the last 130 games or so. Um, they've upgraded their pitching dramatically. It's going to pain Yankee fans when Sonny Gray wins 15 games, but I think he will. <laughs> and um, yeah, they've got their line is better. They're um, they've got prospects. Uh, they, they've they've got some underrated relievers. I mean, they they're a pretty good team. So over 79, I'm pretty confident. In. All right. Uh, well, let's finish up with a status report on our head-to-head March Madness contest. To refresh everyone's memory, we had a snake draft. We each got six teams of various seedings. Every tournament game win is worth one point. I got Duke, Michigan State, Houston, Wisconsin, St. Mary's, and Yale. John selected Virginia, Kentucky, Virginia Tech, Iowa State, Belmont, and Northeastern. And through the first week of March Madness, my six teams tallied six wins, and John's six teams tallied six wins. Our one seed, two seed, and three, four seed teams all advanced to the Sweet 16, while our other teams all lost in the first round, even my five seed Wisconsin and John's six seed Iowa State. Pretty pathetic drafting by both of us there, Uh, but it's all tied up entering the Sweet 16. Uh, I have Duke, Michigan State, and Houston still alive. John has Virginia, Kentucky, and Virginia Tech, and we uh, actually have two key head-to-head matchups this round, uh, Duke versus Virginia Tech and Houston versus Kentucky. Uh, If Virginia Tech upsets Duke, that puts you in the driver's seat. If Houston pulls the mild upset over Kentucky, maybe I have an edge. So what's your confidence level, John? How are you feeling? Uh, I got to say, Eric, you know, after the way the picks rolled out at first, I, I'm kind of in the you can't kill me. I'm already dead mode. <laughs> so uh, and I've got the slight favorite in Kentucky in that game. And mm-hmm. Duke obviously looks a little wobbly. So uh, I feel pretty good. OK, but and uh, you expressed uh, some off air uh, bitterness uh, over the fact that uh, Duke pulled that narrow escape that I really would have been in trouble uh, had had they not won their uh, second round game. Yeah, it, it was great to see the the pain looks on the Duke fans, you know, in the stands. I mean, you know, they've suffered so much over the years. They, you know, <laughs> they, they never catch a break. They never get a good seating. They never get uh, convenient uh, starting times for the games. They never get convenient locations for their their, their uh, contests. I mean, you know, they're just a plucky underdog. And uh, it's just <laughs> nice to see the little guy pull one out every now and then. It's funny, though, that you're, you know, obviously most of the – uh, country if you're not a Duke alum or uh, you know from the area or have some particular tie to them most people root against big bad evil Duke um, but the consistent thing this year is that everyone seems to love Zion Williamson that he's like the one Duke yes. Duke star in history that everybody is kind of rooting for yeah I, I yeah I got nothing against him at all he's amazing and uh, he just doesn't seem to do anything wrong um I will say this is a bit of Irish in me clearly with the Duke because I don't even like Notre Dame okay so that's really <laughs> Irish because it's the same kind of thing they're, they've got they're, they're not even in a conference they've got their own TV contract they've got all the spoils in the world uh, at their feet everything favors them they get in bowl games they don't belong in in football all that kind of thing there's nothing less Irish <laughs> than the Notre Dame sports program so I can't stand them either. <laughs> 
but I guess the the ball that rolled off the rim at the end of the Duke game, there's a little, a little luck of the Irish there, perhaps. Oh, that was rough. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that will do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. And with that, Jersey John, over to you. Please take us out. Uh, thanks, Eric. Uh, I think my closing message this week has got to be to those those of you in friendly climates who snickered all winter at those of us in the Northeast or the Midwest and who took our regular beatings like like the men and women we are. Um, that's fine, but it's opening day in baseball today. Temperatures will be in the 50s at Yankee Stadium. In North Jersey, we may hit 70 degrees on Saturday, and it's going to be glorious. You know, For many of you, it will be just be Saturday, but here it will mean a lot more. So, um, yeah, we missed out on your balmy winter. We concede that. But you're, you're going to miss out now on the true joy of feeling such gratitude for spring arriving. So until next time, gamble on.